Hello, everybody, and welcome to Skating Through It, a podcast exploring how the COVID-19 pandemic is transforming hockey. My name is Jackson Peters, and over the next several months, I'll talk to players, coaches, managers, experts, and more to find out how this game will be changed from the National Hockey League all the way down to the youth level. More specifically, how leagues will move forward, how new players will enter the league, and what the current mental health situation is for players and how that will play into the future of the league. This podcast will also serve as my honors thesis project for the University of Arizona Honors College. Today's guest will tell us about his experiences in and leading up to the NHL playoff bubble, as well as what he expects to come in the months ahead. But before that, we have to set the stage. On March 12, 2020, the NHL announced that it would be pausing the regular season following the World Health Organization's announcement of COVID-19's classification as a pandemic and the NBA's postponement of their regular season. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman had this to say during an interview on CNBC on the day of the stoppage. We, we've taken a pause. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to use the word suspension because our hope and our expectation is when things get back to normal and it's safe and it's prudent that we can go back and resume the season and ultimately have the Stanley Cup award. The pause came with 189 regular season games left to play in the season all of which would not be made up at a later date. Instead, the league would come up with a plan that would see a return to play that would immediately start the playoffs with an expanded format, allowing more teams to qualify for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Two months later, the league announced that in conjunction with the National Hockey League Players Association, it had come up with a plan to resume play. The return to play plan consisted of four phases that would conclude with 24 teams playing in the playoffs instead of the usual 16. The playoffs would occur in two hub cities with the Eastern Conference playing in Toronto, Ontario, and the Western Conference playing in Edmonton, Alberta. The first phase began when the season pause began. The second phase permitted players to start practicing again, but only in small groups without coaches. Phase 3 began on July 13th and permitted players to participate in training camps. Full team practices were permitted, but coaches and training staff had very limited access to the players at this time. The fourth and final phase began on July 26th when the teams made their way to their respective hub cities. Each phase ushered in health and safety protocols, increased testing, and the use of an app to self-report any symptoms and temperature before coming to the rink. Once in the bubble, the bottom eight teams in each conference played in a best-of-five play-in round to determine the bottom four seeds. The top four teams in each conference played exhibition games against one another. The following rounds would continue on in the standard fashion, but nobody was allowed in or out of the bubble once phase four began. Among the teams that made it to the play-in round were the Edmonton Oilers. Today, associate coach of the Oilers, Jim Playfair, joins me to discuss the early effects of the pandemic, his experiences in the bubble, and what he thinks is next to come for the NHL. It's a pleasure to welcome my first guest to the show. He's got 24 seasons of professional coaching experience, of which 13 seasons were in the NHL. He coached for the Arizona Coyotes, Calgary Flames, and Edmonton Oilers. He won the American Hockey League Championship in 2001 with the St. John's Flames, and now he's the associate coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Welcome to Skating Through It, Jim Playfair. Coach Playfair, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you, and I appreciate you uh, having me on your podcast. Yeah, I'm excited, and as the first guest, I'm hoping that you can kind of set the stage on this podcast where we're going to take a look at how COVID-19 has affected hockey from the pro level where you're at all the way down to the youth leagues. So I'm pretty excited to hear what you have to say. So let's get right into this year, your first year coaching for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, In March, when the stoppage came, you were second in the Pacific Division. And at that point, you guys were pretty much a shoe in for the playoffs. 
What was your reaction on the day the season was stopped, knowing that you didn't really know anything beyond that? You know, Jackson, you're right. It, we we didn't know, and it was after the first period when our players um, had somehow picked up the vibe that the NBA had closed their had shut their season down, and the trainers came in and told us after the first period, and and we were pretty much oblivious to um, what that was going to lead to for for everybody. So we went back out, and and our, and our and both teams actually played a little bit disconnected from level of compete that you'd like to see in, in your game especially at the NHL level so we get through the game we lose the game and the players had a closed door meeting just to kind of educate themselves and uh, it was soon after that the next morning um, we were you know informed that, uh, that the players wouldn't be coming into the rink that day and we went in as a staff and basically we turned the news on to gather up information and then um, Kenny Holland was in contact with the league and once everybody started to recognize what was going on around the world, we realized that the entertainment part that we provided um, wasn't a priority in the world. And so we followed suit and, and, and waited to see what direction everything was going to go in. So eventually it did turn back to that entertainment aspect, like you said, and people started asking, when are sports going to come back? I know it took a while from when they started speculating to when they actually confirmed it would be happening but what was your immediate reaction to when they announced that this bubble thing was going to happen well just the overwhelming process of how are they going to go about doing what they had to do and we did one thing that was a little bit interesting jackson during the during the, the entire break was about every two weeks we had all the players the trainers the coaches the team doctor on a conference call and he was able to go out and gather information from different leagues around the world, from different sports venues around the world. And he would bring us information every two weeks on what was going on in the sports world from Australian rules, football to rugby, to soccer, to baseball. The people at those levels had really good communication amongst themselves on what they thought potentially could happen. So, when the bubble was starting to be discussed, um, we weren't completely against it. We didn't think it was an impossibility. We just weren't sure how it was going to play out. And then what happened was they, um, they Kenny Holland and, and, and the training staff just told the players, continue to train at home until we get closer to a date. And then once the date was clear, he gave everybody about 30 days notice and said, get your affairs in order. We're going to start bringing everybody back. We need to be back in you know, Canada by this specific date to, to quarantine in order to play. And then, and they set the protocols up at the rink and that was, uh, you had to come in and, you know, wear a mask and be tested and, and stay apart. And they just, the training staff and the, uh, the nurses that they brought in did an excellent job. And so we got in there in, in small pods, um, five people at a time, and eventually they grew it to, to 15 people and I think it went on to 30. And each time there was a testing protocol and I think we were tested every three days. But the more you're in the bubble, the more people took it serious, the more we realized once we started training camp, if we did things right and stayed um, within the rules of what, what you know, the medical society wanted us to do, we'd have a chance. And so once we get through the training camp and when everybody gets the bubble, then... Then the NHL took over and the testing took over and 
and uh, and they did a great job of it. Yeah, and I think zero positive tests through the entirety of the bubble, you know, is really impressive and really shows that the NHL really wanted to make this work. But one of the big things from every media outlet to fans on Twitter and people like myself, people were worried about how intense this was going to be or that maybe the Stanley Cup champions would have an asterisk next to their name. Did you think leading up to this that the style of play would be different or maybe it wouldn't be as serious without fans? Did you think this would be real playoff hockey? Yeah, you know what happened? What, what we saw was when our players came back, the first two or three days they skated on the ice, we were very impressed with how well conditioned they were to come back. We, we all kind of felt a little bit like with the mental stress and the uncertainty of, of coming back, how much did they were, how much were they able to focus in on their training and, and put in the work required and the extra work required and the consistency to come back in, in shape to play in the NHL. And after two or three days, we were blown away and we recognized right away that, that if our players were that committed, the majority of the players coming back, were going to be ready to go. And so we really worked with them on, on how we felt they needed the most um, preparation. And they came back to us and they said, we want to scrimmage lots, not because they didn't want to avoid the work or the extra skating or the structured parts of practice. They just felt their timing needed to be improved in a short period of time. So what we did is we, we, we scrimmaged every day. The first couple of days, we just scrimmaged 20 minutes and we increased it to 30 minutes, then 40, then 50, then, then eventually to a 60 minute, you know, scrimmage game. So we, we were impressed. And I think when we saw the scrimmages, we realized then, Jackson, that, that these guys were coming here to play for keeps, to not be embarrassed, and to try to win. And, and, and that was um, what we recognized early. And then in talking to different coaching staffs around the league during that two-week training camp, they felt the same way. And that gave us all, I think, the encouragement that we did come in to start you know, the, the, the bubble that – it would be good hockey, and, and it turned out to be great hockey. Yeah, so, so you get that practice in, and I know there must have been a lot of uncertainty about your opponent at this point. Throughout the year, you have video coaches doing meetings every day, and you're practicing to their specific game plan every time you go out on the ice. But when you played the Blackhawks in the first round, you were basing your game plan off of what they were doing six months ago. How do you prepare to play a team when you don't really know what to expect from them since it's been so long? Yeah, I th you're right. And you're 100% right. And I think the one thing that we decided we were going to do early on in camp was focus on our team game and, 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 and be prepared. And everybody played an exhibition game and, and we were able to, to gather a little information about that. We, what we tried to do more than anything was discuss their personnel. We had, a, we had an idea of what, you know, through our video coach building us, uh, you know, a fundamental core of how they their systems and their structures were, we were able to take enough information off of that, figure out who their personnel were, and then just give our, our, our group a little bit of information. I think at the start, they would not have received as much information as they do during a normal 82-game schedule where we're following games one after the other and we're bringing, you know, the opposition's tendencies to, 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 the, to the group. Because we were in a five-game series, um, we felt we were prepared. We didn't want to over-prepare them. And so 
we toned it down a little bit, but we tried to amp up how we wanted to, to, to structure our team game and get our players prepared to play to the level we needed to play at. And, and, and that's how we approached it. And I would think that's how most teams approached it. And then after game one, now you're back into that rhythm and that routine of breaking down the game through your video coach who presents it as packages to the rest of the coaching staff. And then you can collectively as a group, you can prepare for the next game. And that's how we kind of jump started into the, into the rhythm of getting our normal game day routines back in place. Something I'm really interested in is how you felt when you lost this year. It's pretty crazy to me that a team like yours that was towards the top of the standings when the stoppage came, that you unfortunately did end up losing out in the first round and didn't technically make the playoffs. What were your emotions after that loss? Did you feel cheated at all, or did you feel like this was an accurate assessment of what these playoffs were going to be like? Yeah, I think it's so interesting. We talk all the time during the season what every point is precious. Um, the last game that we played, if we would have beat Winnipeg that night, we would have been in, the, you know, we wouldn't have been in the play-in round. We would have been in the, in the regular playoffs. And so that's what happened. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't successful and we needed to be successful to give ourselves a chance. That being said, you got to win the games. You got to play in the playoffs, regardless of who you have to play. So it's not a world that you can just pick and choose and, and, and set things up and think it's going to be easier. I think in saying all that, there's no sour grapes. There's no, we weren't cheated at all. We didn't play well enough for long enough to win. And going forward, that's a hell of a first step to learn for our group what it's going to take to win on a consistent basis. And that's the better defending, a better defending team uh, without the puck. I know you said you didn't feel cheated, which is, is great because, you know, as a fan, that was something I was really worried about. I thought maybe whoever won the cup that other teams and fans would say, oh, it's, you know, it's the COVID year. It doesn't really count. Did you feel that throughout the playoffs that the competition was the same as a non-COVID playoff year? Yeah, I think, I think a couple of things that affected the playoffs were, that were unique were the, the lack of travel. So, you know, in the playoffs, you'll play a game, you have a day off, you play a game, and generally after that next game, you get on a plane, you fly for probably a minimum of, you know, between one and three hours somewhere to get home. And then when you land, you got to get to your home, get into bed, get to sleep, get up the next morning, get back down to the rink, and then you start the process over again. And then when you, you know, it's two games at, you know, at home and then two games on the road, then one at home, one at road, one at home. So there's so much more travel. So the, the traveling can really wear a team down to the playoffs. So that leads to more, you need more time off the ice to, um, to recoup your energy, to, to, to be ready to go in the next game. So the travel being taken out of it, I think it allowed for players to stay fresher, to get better treatments, to be better prepared to get out of bed in the morning and go down and find a routine. So I think that actually helps support uh, a better level of hockey. I think the players, once they got within the, the structure of the series and they developed some hate for each other, which is a healthy component of competing, that they started to dig in and push and, and, and demand and challenge themselves and challenge the opposition. And I thought that 
that the play was like um, previous years. I think obviously the atmosphere with the fans is something that you can't replace. And that's the home ice advantage, the home ice energy versus the away energy and things that you miss during the playoffs is those moments when the reporters do a, you know, an interview or a, you know, they, they, they talk about situations outside the arena and you see the fans coming in, you see the energy, you see the inside of the building. You just can't replace that. And I think what we learned in these playoffs were just how important and how valuable our fans are to the game, how important it is to, to respect the fact that we have to do whatever we can within the, within the structure of taking care of ourselves to make sure we do our part to control COVID. But the game is a lot healthier and a lot better, a lot more enjoyable when the buildings are full of people. Well, other than having no fans there, what was your general feeling of the bubble? I know you said it was great to not have to travel, but what were the day-to-day aspects like? It, it was, it couldn't have been constructed in my opinion, any better. Obviously, I think the teams went to the very end, felt it probably got a little monotonous and boring, obviously, through the, you know, the 65 days over there. But all in all, the NHL did an amazing job of bringing the group together, keeping us healthy, keeping us organized, and keeping the days flowing through. And as teams got knocked out, they cleaned them out and moved on to the next one. So it was a very professional, well-organized um, system that they employed employed for us to execute the bubble. It seems like you feel like that was a pretty adequate response to the pandemic by the NHL, and it seems like they made it as safe as they possibly could. But it's one thing to do it once, it's another thing to do it again. Do you think this is something that if the NHL had to do it again for next season, um, that's something they could do, and something that guys like yourself would even be willing to do? Yeah, I'm not sure. First of all, Jackson, they could do it. Absolutely, 100%. They could do it. They would get the league started off in bubbles. And then, you know, when the Canadian border and the U.S. border agree to open up and let that part of it, you know, flow through, um, when they can allow to have fans back in the building, maybe they could start in a bubble and move out. And I don't think anybody would have any sort of issue going through that process after experiencing the first bubble, I think two things. I'm not sure the owners would have an appetite to go very long in that environment because of the importance of having fans in the building. And then I think you got to look at economically, how does it work? I don't think there's an appetite to start that way, to, to, to play a season in the bubble, but I think they would certainly look at the ability to, to start a, um, start a season, get everybody up and moving and running, and then hopefully break out of that back in everybody's home cities and then finish off the regular schedule. I think that would be something that everybody would be interested in looking at. There seems to be just so much uncertainty from coaches to players to owners to fans. What's your day-to-day like when you don't know when next year is? Well, a couple things. One thing is we're um, all the coaches have little projects that we're trying to piece together to bring a, a fresh set of eyes and a new, some new ideas into our, into our training camp meetings when we have those. We had, we had calls probably every three days to go over who's available in free agency, what we thought about them, how would they fit into our team, 
what our wish list looked like. And we broke down, you know, basically, if not every player in the NHL, we went through a lot of players in the NHL to give ourselves a grip on how it would look when we get started. So um, the next phase of that is reaching out and staying in contact with players because there's a tendency for the players going through free agencies to be uncertain. Are they going to be involved in trade? Are they going to get the contract they're looking for? Are they going to, what, what's the follow going to be? So once our team moves through these next couple of days, probably by, by, you know, midweek to the end of early next week, we'll be able to reach out to all of our players and have really constructive conversations and breaking down their shifts and going through, going through the growth of their game and where they want to improve. So we have work that we can do, but it's a lot more distant communication and, and visualization of how do we see our group um, either individually or collectively improving. So we just, you know, we signed some, a couple of new players. We, we brought some veteran players back. And so just getting to know those guys, reaching out to those guys, that is kind of a, an important part of us being prepared to move forward. Just the feeling that the players know that you're in touch with them, you know what's going on, and they know that you care about them because I think we're all under um, that mental health stress in our life that, that it's good to talk to people. Yeah, and, and you brought up the last thing I wanted to ask you about, which is the mental health situation of all this. What's the general feeling like? Are guys scared? Are they nervous? Are they hopeful since you've already done it? What are guys feeling? I'd say the general consensus is everybody is cautiously optimistic watching what's going on in the world. I think we all recognize that this is a world issue, that the world's going to have to come together for a solution. And I think we, we recognize that in some small way, we have an important role in sports, as sports figures, in the sports industry, as somebody who's in the entertainment industry, that we need to abide by the rules, we need to go about our business, we need to try to execute as safely as possible the responsibility we have to our team, to our teammates, to our city, to our fans. Make sure we're prepared to do that. And also, I think at the same time, we're all extremely aware of the fact that we live in a privileged world. It's a privilege to do what we do. We recognize there's single mothers out there living in apartments with two kids or three kids and, and the financial restrictions that they've run into, the, the inability to maybe get out and be going stir crazy in their place. Those are serious, really serious issues for the mental component of people's lives. But overall, I, I would say to you, we are, we're positive. There's going to be um, a cure and positive. We're going to get back to the rhythm and we know we're going to do a good job because we did it in the bubble. And our, our main concern is taking that same bubble environment and bringing it into a building with 18,000 people and making sure they all feel they're comfortable, secure, safe, enjoying the game, and then they get home safe and they feel good from knowing that we're through this world pandemic and we're on to the on to the next thing. So I think that you know we feel good about it, but we also recognize it might take some time. We've got to be patient.
Well, Coach Playfair, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me about your experiences in pro hockey amid the pandemic. I think I speak for all hockey fans when I say I'm really excited to see what happens next year, whenever that is. And, of course, best of luck to you and the Oilers whenever that time comes. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jackson. Thanks again to Coach Jim Playfair for taking some time to come on to this podcast. I wish him and the Oilers the best of luck in the next season, and I look forward to seeing what aspects of the 2020 bubble playoffs carry over into the next season. Coach Playfair mentioned the toll on mental health that the COVID-19 pandemic has been taking on players, staff, and coaches. That's an important effect of the pandemic that this podcast will seek to explore thoroughly in the episodes to come. Until then, you've been listening to Skating Through It, a University of Arizona honors thesis and podcast series where I, Jackson Peters, discuss the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the hockey world with people from inside the game. I hope you'll join me next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>